Welcome to the RV Navigator Podcast, your RV lifestyle digital home. Visit the RV Navigator homepage at rvnavigator.com. And now, here are your hosts, Ken and Martha, podcasting from their mobile RV studio that might be parked in a campground near you. Hello, this is Ken, your RV Navigator. And Martha, the co-pilot, talking to you from our studio at home. In the very hot Chicago summer weather. It's hard to believe that until we got home from our last trip, we had spent less than two weeks in our home in in the year 2018. We have begun referring to our home as our summer home, and as Ken just said, it really is pretty summery, even though it is still May, as we are talking to you. we come home in the summer is because it's beautiful here it's beautiful exactly and today was a great example of that we did bike the drive if you're at all familiar with chicago you know that there is a multi-lane highway it's not an expressway along lake michigan called lakeshore drive lsd and alongside lakeshore drive next to the water there is a lot of public space and land and it's very easy to bike or run or walk right on the lakeshore which is a, a beautiful amenity that we have here in chicago but on memorial Day weekend, we have a special event where LSD, the Lakeshore Drive, is closed to traffic for four hours. It's closed to cars. And opened to taken bikes. over by bikes. So it's called Bike the Drive, Bike LSD. So we ride about 30 miles, so we're totally exhausted at this moment. Well, uh, and it opens at 5.30 a.m., which also makes it kind of exhausting. But if you're in the Chicago area on Memorial Day weekend, especially the Sunday, then you will be uh, able to take advantage of this uh, fabulous event. There are thousands of people I mean, like 15,000 people who do this. It's a non-competitive event. It's just a fun thing to do. And even though there are thousands of people there, because there are so many lanes for the cars under normal circumstances, there is plenty of room for everybody, and people generally follow the traffic conventions. If you ride slowly, you're toward the right, and if you're one of those... But you don't have to follow the lights. (laughs) Greyhounds in those sleek Lycra outfits, you are probably in the left-hand lane. We're just not used to seeing a Chicago with no traffic. It's, It's a fabulous event because under ordinary circumstances, you can't stop and take pictures on LSD. And because LSD goes right along Chicago's lakefront, it has some really, really nice views. And on Bike the Drive Sunday, if it's a nice day... Which today, today was. Today was, in the 90s, but sunny and clear. Uh, we were able to uh, stop and take all the pictures that you wanted. So we'll post a few of those uh, of your RV navigators uh, navigating their way through the Chicagoland terrain very early. So if you're coming to Chicago, Chicago is a very nice city to visit in the summer. Uh, If you like cold weather and snow, then it's also good to come in the winter. But we like it in the summer, and Chicago is one of the few cities that has beaches right on the in the middle of the heart of the city. It has this bike trail. It has parks all along the lakefront. And Lake Michigan is the size, well, it's not the size of the ocean, but you can't see across it, so it feels like you're you're on the ocean. ocean. And, of course, it's fresh water, so that you have... 
And then you look the other direction, and there's all the beautiful architecture that the Chicago is known for. The huge buildings, and we're building two new spires, which are going to create lots of new uh, condominiums in downtown Chicago. But Chicago is a world-class city. does not get enough credit for how beautiful it is. So that's kind of an advertisement free from from us. Even though Ken made it sound like we exhausted ourselves today, we really did not because this Why was that, our, our first opportunity to use really our new e-bikes. Are put which, them to the test. Which we purchased as we were leaving Tucson. If you're a um, close listening person, you might remember that. And the bikes were delivered to our home during the three days we were home between trips. So we really have not had chance to use our e-bikes until today. And even though you think of, well, I think of this area as flat, um, when you're a biker, all of a sudden you see hills and inclines that you have to deal with that you never notice when you're in a car. And it it was so nice to just uh, push Crank my the throttle just a little bit. Push my handlebar control just a tiny bit and zip past people much younger than I am. Uh, who but well, we wondered. didn't speed though. We didn't. We didn't. Well, do this gray-haired lady is passing me on. And, and our use of the of the e-bikes is to pedal quite a lot and get enough exercise. But when the hill presents itself, you kind of just give yourself a little bit of boost. And in the twenty or thirty miles that we did do, we only used half. A battery, so that's if that. that's uh, not really relying on the battery totally, but uh, just a nice experience to give yourself a little boost. As you know, these bikes are ones that uh, fold up, and they, for the first time, made it into the back of our Jeep as our previous bikes did. So uh, we will be able to transport them easily and keep them out of the weather uh, while we travel in the RV. So these will be our transportation for around campgrounds and things. And we have found it to be very convenient to have the, the little extra engine that will help you. They have a full derailleur eight-speed gear shifting system so that they're completely rideable without any electric power. But when the battery is installed and you feel like uh, using the battery or need a little bit of extra boost, what do you do? You just crank that throttle just a little bit. So these are not uh, connected to the chain. They're not connected to the crank at all. It's uh, the engine, the little motor is on the front wheel. It doesn't drag at all. I didn't think that it dragged at all when we were just riding. Not at all. It just seems to ride like a normal bike right. when you're just riding. <coughs> so uh, it's you get the E when you want it, and you can ride regular when you don't want it. I also found it helpful when the person I was riding with stopped incessantly, with. <laughs> stopped incessantly to take pictures when Ooh. I least expected it. Who would that be? And I was not in the appropriate gear for getting going again. Um, I hadn't didn't have time to downshift because you surprised me a number of times. But with the little e boost, I the was e-boost. I was able to get Ooh. going again no matter what gear can I get, was can in. We take a pill called e boost. Like yes. <laughs> Could use e boost some afternoons. <laughs> After doing the hikes. So now we have to find a way to do hikes with e-hikes. E e-hikes. <laughs> Is that possible? <laughs> um, I'm sure it's coming. Well, uh, you have reached the RV Navigator for June 2018. We want to uh, mention to you that we have our monthly wallpaper calendar. 
which is usable on your computer. Every month I take a nice picture, put a calendar with it, and turn it into a wallpaper for use in your background on your computer. Uh, I do get quite a few hits on this, but uh, if you're not familiar with it, it's free. And of course, the whole everything's free. Everything on our podcast is free. There are no ads. To our listeners. Well, yes, to our listeners. You listen to this podcast for free. We don't have any spaces. And now for a word from our sponsor. We have no sponsor. Oh. <laughs> Maybe we can get an e-bike sponsor. That'd be good. Ah. We'll have to talk to them. Um, if we're going to give, say good things about their bikes, but we haven't mentioned their name, then maybe they want to pay for it. Hmm. Anyway, no advertising at this moment. Um, and if you click, uh, if you go to our webpage and click on calendar, you'll get this nice picture. And this month is a, oh, well, the June one is a very nice one. What is it? Actually, the July one. July? Well, I do it a month ahead. Oh, okay. What is the June one? I don't know. I haven't seen it. I'm still in May. Well, the, the July one, which I just made, <laughs> which you'll be able to pick up when you as the next month. I download it when the month changes. Well, I make it ahead so that in case That's I'm fine. a little bit late, so in case you want to, so uh, people don't harass you because you don't have everything there instantly. Yeah, and so so the because even when we're at home, sometimes it's hard to meet the so schedule. That's, that's the Ju- oh, that's the June one. That's a beauty. No, I think that's Ju- that should be July. It says June. I know. I think I made a mistake. Because <laughs> I was making it ahead. I think June is already up there. You have to understand, dear listeners, that we continue to be disoriented about what what, well, I noticed that. <laughs> what season it is, what month it is. Um, you might recall when we were in Australia, it was the autumn. And then as we sailed home on, on a cruise ship, when we went to New Caledonia and to Fiji, we were in the tropics and it felt very summery. And then we left Hawaii and sailed to the northwest with our cruise ending in Seattle and it got downright chilly even though I think the air temperature was warm, the sea was 52 degrees and made us go back to the autumn or winter feelings and now here we are in spring which typically in Chicago is cool and rainy and it's in the 90s here today So and I've got the wrong calendar so no wonder you're confused, I'm trying to give you excuses no I (laughs) me needing excuses, heavens I don't make mistakes. Uh, so the July calendar, which says June on it at the moment, but will be fixed, is of Uluru. 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 Ayers Rock. Ayers Rock. In, in One a, of the reasons we went to Australia. a sunrise picture at Ayers Rock. Oh, I'm glad I noticed that. I would probably get some nasty emails saying that my calendar is wrong. Uh, but as she mentioned, we did... Uh, the last time we talked to you, I don't know where we were, but we were someplace. We were on the cruise the, ship. On the cruise ship in the Pacific, and we have gone through Hawaii, and we did not go to the Big Island. So we didn't see any of the lava. We didn't feel in the least bit in danger, as is often the case with events like that. Unless you're right there, you might not even know that it was happening unless you heard it on the news. Yeah. Honolulu is hundreds of miles away. And we didn't see any depredation in air quality. Even if you're on Hawaii... Uh, that the lava area is only 1% of the island, and the two big cities, Kona and Hilo, Hilo are over 100 miles away, so even they are not affected by the, the new land that's being created by the volcano. So <laughs> the big picture, island is getting pictures, bigger. The big island, well, it, it is well worth going to uh, Volcanoes National Park, which is very popular in... Uh, but maybe not right now. 
It would be cool to be there, but I wouldn't yeah. want to be stuck, that's yeah, for sure. Yeah. And we spent a final day uh, on the cruise uh, heading into Seattle where we were met by listeners Wally and Wendy, and they took us around and had a very nice time just sitting in a coffee shop and, and enjoying the, the very fine weather that Seattle offers. Another great city, and a city that's in transition too because they have this big expressway that goes right along the lakefront, which is always been kind of a uh, ocean front sorry uh, that has always been kind of an eyesore and they're ripping that down and putting in a tunnel so all the traffic will be underground and they can turn their seafront into It'll nice be as beautiful as Chicago oh no not, not well possible they did have that Mount Rainier looming in the distance which is something and the Olympic Peninsula that on the we other can, side so never we could see them both on the day we were there it so was a perfect weather day some, yes it was a perfect weather day and we had a nice flight back to Chicago which brought us here. So now while most of you are, are enjoying the summer and thinking about going camping, we are thinking about staying home because our policy in the summer pretty much is to stay out of your way while you guys are out camping. Enjoy our summer home here in the Chicago area and hit the roads again after school goes back in session and stay out of your way. Because one thing that we hear a lot about these days is that there aren't enough campgrounds for all of the The new new RVs RVs that have been built and sold uh, since the big recession. Some people sound like they're very frustrated by the fact that they can't find places to camp and asking what they should do and what the strategy should be. And because we're really not yeah. doing it anymore, um, we can only talk about it in general terms. Well, we do do it extensively. But, but not in the summer. But not in the summer, but the rest of the season is still busy. But there are strategies that you can use to get yourself the campgrounds and to find the good places. Uh, of course, Making reservations long in advance is one of those things, but you often have trouble doing that. Or you don't want to. Yeah, you don't want to make reservations, and that's kind of our strategy. We just kind of travel around, and wherever we hit ground, we hit ground. And one thing that really has surprised us is is reading the article that we'll link to where um, the author talks about public parks, um, national parks and state parks, not being all that full in terms of campers. And it's kind of a surprise to us. This is an interesting article that uh, I can't link to. This is actually a printed article. I can't find it uh, online. online. So Mm -hmm. data compiled through the past three years from Campground of America's annual surveys revealed that more than a million new families begin camping each year. However, the federal campground system hasn't kept up with demand. And, in fact, National Park Service data shows that a huge drop in overnight camping in its sites. RV stays at national park facilities since 1987 are down an incredible 37%, while the total overnight stays in national parks are down 12%, which is hard to believe. It is. And that's overnight stays. Why the drop? Simply put, our public campgrounds aren't equipped to accommodate today's recreational vehicles, so RVers are bypassing some of, some of the public campgrounds altogether. And it isn't limited to national parks. In Wisconsin, they have a t- maximum of 30% 
of electrical sites in their campgrounds. By law. By law. In other words, only 1,800 of the 6,000 campsites have electric hookups. When I asked the State Department of Natural Resources the reason for the limit, I was told that by a law passed in 1983, some legislator thought they needed to keep it to 70% of campsites would be primitive. Seriously? Do you you think this is an issue for your state too? If so, how can we turn this around? So Wisconsin has a decline because people can't don't want electricity and can't get it, which is interesting. So if you're driving a big rig, then this is a problem because you're not going to find the full hookup campsites. Well, well, not necessarily because if you're driving a big rig like ours, we are able to function quite well without plugging in, without utilities of any sort. But the question for us would be, is it big enough for us to get into? Yes, and I think a lot of sites we've found are. And I think we have multiple modes of being able to get into campgrounds. So assuming the site is big enough, which is often not really a problem, does it have the hookups that we want to have? Answer, maybe not. But do we care? No, because we are fully equipped to boondock. Are you fully equipped to to boondock? And maybe to go to national parks, you need to be. So what do you need to do to be able to boondock? You need to have um, auxiliary water tanks. I can remember a time when we had a plastic Our bladder lab. that we carried. Um, we still do. To have a extra water capacity mm-hmm. um, when we were still in our fifth wheel. You need a generator of some sort well, or solar well, panels or, 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 or electricity. Or a bank of batteries uh-huh. to make sure that you can stay for a reasonable amount of time. There's nothing worse than, I mean, getting to one of these campsites and then you have to leave right away because you don't have staying capacity. Uh, so you need water. You need electric, and then you need some place to dump it when you're done. And people have those little blue things with wheels right. on them for right. auxiliary dumping. Right. And, of course, we have uh, large enough tanks so that that's really not a problem. But you need to be able to think about boondocking. So many people just go to sites that are full hookups, and those are becoming more and more limited and are, frankly, quite expensive. So boondocking needs to be uh, an option on the table, I think. And s- many people are afraid to boondock. Well, or they're not sitting up to boondock, I guess, is really what it boils down to, huh? Well, and I suppose if you don't already have a generator, it feels like a major investment to add one to your camping rig or buy one for your fifth wheel, um, and you aren't sure whether you'll get the value out of it? I don't know. Exactly, but of course, if a class, if you have a class A, they almost always have it built in on yeah. the frame. And so, for our generator, we push a button and it starts and it runs off of the fuel tank for the engine. Whereas, if you have a fifth wheel or a trailer, then you have to have a separate fuel supply because the trailers don't have any gas tank built in. So you have to have a separate fuel tank, and, or and usually the generator is not built in unless it runs on propane. And you understand that you can get either generators that run on propane or on gasoline and or diesel of course and you need to make a decision about that for your trailer because you have large propane tanks uh, it is entirely feasible to run your generator off of propane but of course you then have to keep running to someplace to get propane 
And people who are boondocking alongside you may not like you running your generator. Well, Often they limit the amount of hours that you can run it, uh, so that's an issue as well. But, but I, when I think way, way back to our tenting days, um, even then we tended to to look for electric sites because we liked using an electric light yeah, rather yeah. than a Coleman lantern. I can remember bringing a little portable TV and yes, watching yes. that in our tent. So, but we're kind of electric oriented. But and that was before. Computers. Yes, but this winter when we were at Dinosaur National Park, National Monument, uh, we used the boondocking sites. I mean, they were sites that we paid for, but it was uh, they were had no hookups. They were naked, and that worked out fine. And we could do that because we were able to have all the amenities that we're used to that we brought with us. So you decide. I have an article here that I'm going to put a link to that's uh, uh, called Basic Facts About RV Generators. Basically, you want an inverter generator. You want one that puts out uh, pure sine wave, and you want uh, one that has the capacity to run the things you need. Start with a 2,000 watt. That would be my limit. It, most of the 2,000 waters you can chain together to make a 4,000. You need about uh, three 3,500 watts to run your air conditioner, so you decide from there. Some people just want to be able to charge their batteries, and if that's the case, then probably a, a 1,000 watt generator, which weighs just a few pounds, would work fine if you just want to charge your batteries. But understand that inverters, which run the, the 110, your microwave, and coffee makers and that sort of stuff requires quite a lot of of power well so, we haven't even talked about wi-fi which is another well that's another one of life's essentials these days i'm assuming that that's an entirely separate issue and that's of course easy to bring with you regardless of whether you're right whether you're boondocking right. or what your situation is so I, I guess i would say if you are frustrated by a lack of places to camp when you want to camp. One strategy might be to diversify the kind of camping places you are looking at. I think as a newbie, you tend to look at campgrounds, um, commercial campgrounds with all the facilities that you're used to having at home in a very easy-to-use way. You just right. plug in right. and attach your hose, and there you go. Right. Um, and That's look, a good point. And look for other alternatives. You heard us talk before about camping and casinos. People like Walmarts. We don't use them very much ourselves. And other commercial establishments like Cracker Barrels that encourage overnight stays if you can't find a place to camp for a night or two. So you have to be flexible, and you have to know where to look. One of the, the websites that we use very frequently is RV Park Reviews. And then the All Stays app. And the All Stays app is, is excellent it? because it shows you on the map exactly where all of the campgrounds are listed, and they list some boondocking sites too. And there'll be places like um, little towns along the highway have a little campsite in the middle of town for like 10 people to stop, no reservations, on your honor, put your campground yeah. fees in a little box. Places like we that, found that, in that, several places. that are not, not so high on your radar because they don't advertise so um but they I, will be in the campground uh, well no apps. one resource has right. them all right. so you need to use a number of resources if you're getting frustrated so frequently we will pick a campground to head to a call in the afternoon to see if they have vacancy and we will keep calling or 
we will then go to an alternative, and when it comes worse comes to worse, we go to boondocking in mo- in many situations. Sometimes we actually seek out the boondocking, but when you go to quartzite or someplace like that. But overall, it's uh, it's kind of a fun experience, and it's just uh, with Wi-Fi built into your in your RV, and you're driving down the road, and you can do this research. It saves you a lot. But with that said. The Navigator has her campground book. Yeah, I always have a paper backup. And why is that? Because sometimes the, the resources, the electronic resources, <gasps> don't work. Sometimes I get different information from the paper resource than I do from the electronic ones. Uh, the more you know about a place before you're going to go there, the better off you are. Sometimes the campground will write special directions on how to get to that's their campground. Often, that's often a um, big plus. Which are different than what your GPS would be advising you to do. So sometimes when we're on the road for a long period of time, I get tired of how much time we spend figuring out where we're going to stay. Oh, because really? it's resource yeah, work yeah. and can be quite time-consuming. You can't. But just should you do it before you leave home? Well, it depends how long a trip you're yeah. on. I mean, if I was a, a normal working person still with a two-week holiday, I would certainly yes. make reservations yeah, because every day is precious when mm-hmm. you only have two weeks. And for us, if we don't go there this week, we'll go there next week, and it's not a big deal. So it depends on how important the timing is. Well, and, ex- and how important it is that you want to go where you want to go. I mean, we kind of just kind of wander around frequently and just kind of pick a destination and head in that direction. If you want to go to national parks, the best time to go to national parks is off-season. not now. It's <laughs> yeah, off-season uh, on weekdays and go to the lesser-used national parks. And certainly when you are going to a park that is near large urban areas, you're going to have to expect crowds no matter when you go. Um, You might remember last fall we stopped at Rocky Mountain National Park for a few days, which is an easy day's drive from a gazillion people who live in the Denver area. And it sounded like that park is crowded no matter when you go there, and it was crowded when we were there, and we called ahead and we got made a reservation. And but we were able to extend our stay without much trouble. But but it but was you, you it was September. It. You felt it. Yeah, and we were there in midweek, and we were there off well, kind of off season. And one of the reasons I think that the Smoky Mountain National Park is one of the most popular national parks is that it is so close to so many huge urban areas on the East Coast. So if you pick a park that doesn't have the um, fame, I'm thinking of Big Bend National Park in Texas, where the nearest metro area is hundreds of miles away, and you yeah, really have yeah. to make an effort to get there, then you're not going to be doing And what would be one of the national parks like that big bend i said well not only big bend but where were we recently oh Uh, great basin in nevada great basin which Mm -hmm. nobody was there Mm -hmm. (laughs) they had a hard time finding 20 people to go on a tour you know so there are parks like yosemite and yellowstone that everybody knows about and and their fame is well deserved and you should try to go there sometime but if you have the luxury of choosing when you go, um, spring or fall is probably going to be less crowded. Weekdays are less crowded than weekends. And in some of these parks, like Yosemite, you just have to plan ahead and make a reservation. No way around it. But you don't have to make a reservation in the park. No. They all have private parks that are just outside the gates, and you can easily make reservations there. 
uh, maybe not on a short term, but they will have reservations. We were in Zion recently, and the whole town outside of Zion is is RVs and hotels. I mean, it's, it's really no different than than the hotel situation, and I think RVing is a much more pleasant experience than staying in a hotel, as I'm about to find out. Right? Is <laughs> I've spent two weeks or two months staying in a living out of a suitcase. Back to the RV, but we won't be there until fall. No, Ooh. no, no. It's going to be a long time till we head back to the RV. And I just want to put a plug. It's still winterized. Do you realize that? Yes, I do. I just want to put. Is it a going plug... to freeze soon? No, not here. <laughs> I just want to put a plug into our recent experience flying to Australia and cruising back home from Australia. Uh-huh. If you have the luxury of the time, as we do, I strongly recommend taking a cruise. Oh yeah. Taking the jet lag a little at a time was delightful. Um, the captain on our ship used a new strategy we never had seen before. Usually, you change time in the middle of the night as you do in the spring and the fall for daylight savings time. And he made the time change every day at noon, which meant that it shortened the lunch hour a little bit, which when you're on a cruise can be a traumatic experience, I guess. But somehow it made the adjustments of our bodies um, much easier. And we changed time seven time zones while we were on the cruise. Yeah. And it was very painless. Seven seven zones in 21 days. So I recommended highly. 23 days, yeah. Well, we visited Australia, as you know, and we visited the listeners while we were in Australia. And I'm sorry that we didn't get to everybody that listens in Australia, but things happen. I guess <laughs> we'll have to go back and visit the, the folks that we missed. Well, I've heard, I've gotten some emails from listeners who wanted to see us. Be that as it may, uh, we visited uh, our friends Al and Sue, who were in Newcastle, New South Wales, and they suggested that we have a name for our RV, and we don't have a name for our RV. A lot of people do. We never have any of our RVs. So we decided to give it a name, and we're going to call it the MyPad. We're both Apple. And he's going to call his a MyPad, too. MyPad also. MyPad Mine is the my. I have a logo. Yeah. I'm going to share. Maybe you'd like to use the logo for your motorhome too, or your RV. Mine is called the MyPad uh, USA Edition. His is going to be called the MyPad Australia Edition. And you'll take if you take a look at the website, you'll see our new logo. We're going to have us have a sign made and put it onto the door so that folks can see it and uh, know that this is the MyPad motorhome. So if you see it, you'll know it's us. Or our friend in Australia. Right, or if you're in Australia and you see the MyPad Australia edition, you'll know it's it's his. So, Cirrus Radio. People moan and groan a lot about Cirrus because it's so expensive. It is expensive. And if you want to have it but in your car and your RV and your house, yeah. um, ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. Uh, in the next month, I'm going to be installing a new head-end radio, a double-din head-end radio into our motorhome. So are you going to keep going with Sirius? Uh, probably. Why? Well, we can decide because it's going to have Apple CarPlay and Android, whatever it's called. So then we don't need Sirius. Well, you have to have Wi-Fi if you don't have Sirius. Uh-huh. And the Mobley works well, but not perfectly. Always. Uh-huh. So you have to you, it just takes the screen from your iPhone and puts it onto the screen of the radio. This is a major step here. Our radio in the motorhome is old. 
2012 edition. <laughs> it's old, so I guess it, it's found a home with us, but it's going to be replaced and with a shiny new touchscreen that's going to modernize it. Another and home improvement project. And I'll have some pictures of that. I hope it goes well because uh, it's an expensive option. But it will have Cirrus Radio. We like Cirrus because it's got so many channels and we listen to it. And you can just turn it on and listen. You don't have to watch the channels go. You know, you get local channels and then they fade out and then you got to get a new one. You have to worry about your data consumption. And this has an HD radio. Why? <laughs> Why are you always asking that? <laughs> because high, it's cool and new. High definition radio? HD. Well, it's like the TV channels. You have... You have 91.5.1, 91.5.2. So that means it has more channels. More channels. Oh, You've got that's su- why. Well, it's also HD. Well, Super high-quality hear- audio. When you're in a vehicle, you can't hear that well anyway. But we want the best we can hear. Of course. So we're going to give this a, give this a try, dear listener. More reports next month. After it's installed. We did take a, a very interesting tour while we were in Australia. No, while in we were Hawaii. in Hawaii. And our guide was running around taking pictures all the time. And most of the time... Well, he wasn't just taking you're... pictures. He was waving his phone right. past us. Right. And so the picture, such as it was, started before we were in it. And then he kept going after he took a picture well, of us. He was using very Apple's live photos option, which takes a few seconds of picture before and turns it into a movie before the actual capture of the picture that you're taking. Anyway, it's very unusual for a guide to be snapping pictures of the participants in a tour. This was a bike tour, and we were uh, it was actually a very nice tour, a biking food tour in Hawaii. And we had pokey. In Honolulu, yeah. And we had spam. No, we What's didn't. pokey? Poke is um, marinated raw fish, and they marinated it with a variety of different things right. for different flavors, and rather than cooking the fish. Exactly, and we had well, we we and went shaved to, ice. We went to a, yeah, what were those Portuguese donuts? Oh, yeah. those were so good too. I already forgot that. Anyway, name. he took us to six or seven places that were uh, extremely local and. And quite ethnic because Hawaii has so many people of varying backgrounds and they cook their own native way. Um, And he took us to a lot of places that you would never go to as a tourist, which were very economical. made me wish we were staying there longer so we could have taken advantage of some of those restaurants again. But as one of the tools to advertise his tours, he makes a video of each of the tours and puts it on the web and encourages you to share it with people. And, of course, this would be an outrageously uh, time-consuming process if you didn't have cool software. And he used a piece of software from GoPro, which is the manufacturer of these Those tiny cameras people wear on their heads when they're doing adrenaline-filled Exactly, of which I have a couple. But the software is called Quick, Q-U-I-K. And the really nice thing about it was is that it makes a very modern, polished video with sound in about 10 seconds. You just take the, the pictures, drop them into the software, and it makes a video out of it. 
and it was quite interesting. Well, <laughs> interesting. It was interesting to us because we were. It was of our experience. But uh, and but. and for him to advertise, it gave you some idea of what the experience would be like for you. Yes, and I have a hard time. I'm a traditional video editor where you take and you take the clips on a timeline and you put them together with transitions takes forever. It takes a nice long time. Uh, it's very polished looking, but it's very old school. And I don't want to really think of myself as old school. But he made a nice product very quickly. But and this takes it makes uh, very interesting transitions, and the the picture is uh, fairly low quality, shall I say? And the the cuts move around, and it has fade ins and fade outs and funny places, and it just does it. So. If you have a bunch of pictures that you would like to kind of give a modern look to, you might want to try GoPro Quick. I'm going to try doing some from the – I took a bunch of pictures this morning on the, bike ride. on the bike ride, and I'm going to try to make one – try to make one. I'm going to make one. What do you mean try? I'm going to make one of our experience so that you can see what it looks like. Do I have to sign a model release? This is non-commercial. We don't have any commercials, so it's non-money-making. What if I don't like the pictures you took? Then you won't be in it. Mm. Well, I took lots of pictures of all sorts of stuff, not Good. just you. Good. We came back from Australia, and we were able to drink the water everywhere, which is very nice. Even though people incessantly buy bottled water, carry bottled water, um, we never quite know why. But water and is of course, the thing. That's another question about your RV. And I can't believe, as we read some of the posts and things on the web, how many people do not drink the water out of their water tank in their RV. And I'm thinking, what the hell is that about? Why wouldn't you drink? And people, they talk about the fact that they've never used their water pump. Yeah, it's hard to imagine. Uh, in our particular situation, we filter the water twice before it gets into the RV. And in all honesty, that's a very good idea from our experience. I have a clear housing on the water filter nearest the, nearest the RV. It's on the outside, but it's uh, it's clear. And so that I know when to change it because I watch the water filter turning brown is it filters out the gunk in the water. But with that said, I think the water is safe to drink and safe to use, even out of the tap. And it's interesting that in some places I get a lot of stuff, and in other places the filter stays white for a nice long time. Now, out in Tucson, I didn't have to change it for three months. But wow. in, in other places, and it's still in there, uh, in other places it turns gunky in six Fairly weeks. Fast, yeah. So. Uh, I think you do need to filter your water, but I think the water as it comes out of the tap is always drinkable. Do you filter your water in your stick-built house? No. So what's the difference? Yeah, that's a really good question. You take the water, you fill up your tank, and away you go. And you have to remember that wherever you go, those people are drinking the water out of the tap. And so the, because that's their tap water. So that... It's it's been approved and it is okay. May taste a little different. Now there are situations, uh, like in southern Texas, where there's a lot of salt in the water, where they definitely recommend that you don't drink the water, especially if you're sensitive to salt. And there we carry with us, as we have mentioned before, a distiller. This is a little gizmo which you plug in and it makes distilled pure water. A gallon at a time. A so gallon for at drinking. A time. Now, at home, we have a reverse osmosis, uh, which depends on water pressure to make pure water. And there's a lot of waste. 
So for every gallon you make, you lose about five gallons down the drain, which, of course, when you're boondocking is not an option at all. So that when we're boondocking or we have electricity and we don't have a lot of sewer capacity, then we would use the distiller. And these distillers are $100 or so. So it's not a major investment. It doesn't take up a lot of space. You bought it online, I think. Yeah. Um, And I think its purpose was for dental offices to... Who knows? Yeah. But they they make them. I mean, it's not a big deal. So that's an option. Uh, I'd like to hear from you about whether you drink from your... Water management issues. Water management issues. Okay. Uh, Please post to the Google Plus page uh, for us. It would be interesting to hear what you do. Cool gadget. It's an Amazon thing, and it is a... I haven't used this yet. I haven't got it. You have it? No, I don't have it. It's, It's coming soon. It is a camera on the end of a wire that you can stick down the drain or any place else to look at things so that you can't see otherwise. To find gross stuff in your drain? Well, now drain, you could stick it down your throat. I don't think so. (laughs) You could stick it down behind the sofa where you lost something. For nooks and crannies? And and the cool thing about this, of course, these these have been around for years, but the cool thing about this one is, is that it's 25 bucks and it connects up to your phone. So you just plug this into your phone, and on the screen is this picture uh, from the end of the tube that lets you see. So you can check for cavities in the back of your mouth? You can see whatever you want to see. That's what the cool part about it. So, dear listeners, stay tuned because we will have a full report in the not-too-distant future, I hope. Uh, you know, if you're going to be coming to the United States, and we realize more and more that we have lots of listeners from outside the United States, as we more than heard, we realize, more than we realize, that's for sure, and that RV dealers in the United States are increasing their rental fleet. North American RV rental fleet will expand again in 2018, according to a new survey by the RV Rental Association. A total of 43% of RV dealers and rental agencies surveyed that they plan to expand their fleets, while only 11% they will, said they were reducing their rental offerings. Another 44% said their rental fleets will be the same size as 2018. So if you're coming to the United States renting an RV, and a lot of people do in Alaska and out west, out west yeah. uh, renting is definitely an option. And, of course, we have rented a couple of times uh, on our in trips other countries, to yeah. New Zealand, Zealand and, South Africa. And those are good experiences um, if you like driving a small class C. On the left. <laughs> On the left. <laughs> Stick shift. Diesel. These, what I'm assuming, would all be automatics. What to know about national park fees for summer of 2018? Ooh. So in some parks, the fees went up, and others, it's still free. National parks are free? That's what it says. Okay. This, the, the one we went to, the Cedar one, the... Uh, Cedar Breaks. Yeah, that was free. Yes, I think smaller ones. 117 f- sites will be increasing their entrance fees beginning June 1st, the day this podcast becomes available. And I think it's going up to like $70, which is for a week. For a week. For that's. But when you compare that to what you pay to go to a, an amusement park yeah. or other attractions, it's very reasonable. They need the money, I think. Uh, another article we read was about uh, the AT&T improving their data plans. <sighs> this is always an issue. How much data can you use and can I stream and is it is it worth it to have a, a huge data plan? The, the AT&T prepaid plan, I think really 
the FMCA plan of 25 gigabytes a month for 50 bucks is about the best deal around. Is it still? I mm-hmm. still think so, yeah. But AT&T has increased uh, the amount of data that you can have from some of their plans, which you might want to look into. Of course, we've been very happy with the Mobley, and the Mobley allows us unlimited data for from AT&T under this long-gone plan. But if you're looking for a new plan, their, cha- their prepaid goes from eight, 6 to 8 gigabytes a month for 50 bucks. Oh, definitely go to FMCA, wouldn't you say? Yes. Yeah, that's a, that's a Verizon plan. And, of course, you want a hotspot <laughs> to go with it, so that's another investment. But if you're going on the road, you definitely need to have some sort of cellular-based data that adds Wi-Fi. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. She says it makes sense, so it'll make sense to the listeners, too. Yay! Okay. How to replace your carpeting with new vinyl flooring. Why do you want to do this? Well, if your rig is of any age at all, it's got a lot of carpeting on the floor. I don't know why they did that. I guess carpeting was... In our previous motorhome, we tackled this topic by letting somebody else do all the work and paying big bucks, which is one way to go. But we put down wood, pergo, like wood. And I think these days, vinyl is really the way to go. And this article shows you step-by-step what this person did, both in terms of getting out the old carpeting and replacing it with the new vinyl. Um, And if you are braver than I am, um, Mm -hmm. it it shows you how to do it and how to solve this problem of filthy carpeting, no matter how hard you try to keep it clean. Part of the problem with wood is is that it expands and contracts and will leave. And because your motorhome is always or your your rig is always exposed to unusual weather conditions, that will cause cracking. And it's probably not a good idea to use wood. Um, Pergo is kind of a stabilized sort of wood product so that, it works pretty well, but I think the vinyls are the th- way to go, and they look really good these days. Better and better. So that it will flex as your chassis flexes. It will not be impacted by by any sort of uh, weather issues and if you spill on it or something of course it's easy to wipe up and will not trickle down into the basement or wherever so uh, vinyl is the way to go but the biggest problem with putting in tile is wait and like well that's another thing well, vinyl is, is light yeah. so I don't think that's much of an issue Purgo is kind of just was yeah, he- heavier than probably. Yeah, than vinyl. I, I don't know. I didn't really consider that as a factor, but getting it under the slide mm-hmm. and how do you get your slides to come up over the tile? How do you get the carpet out from under the slide? So be sure to look at how that is set up. How your slides work on the carpet before you decide to change it, because that may be more work than you're willing to do. For instance, if you have to take out your slide. To put the new carpeting in, eh, probably you're not going to want to do that. Not yourself. Or it'll look bad. And it's hard to eat. The slide and didn't has we to... leave the carpet on the slide and just do the oh, I had no, Yes, yes. Yeah, but they had, to lift, they had to lift the slide to get the old carpet out, out. and put the, mm-hmm. the tile underneath. And mm-hmm. so that was, uh, the cargo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a whole different operation. So, But and for our, in our case, it looked good at the end. It cost a few bucks, but it was well worth it because you could just never, ever get carpet clean. Mm-mm. And especially if you have some fur and buddies. And it was just two of us, and we had no animals. And exactly. Even, and exactly. we always took our shoes off at the door. But even Well, so. these days, that's not an issue. All the modern RVs have tile right. or they have vinyl or something, but uh, carpeting is just a nightmare from my perspective. 
Something else that people who are contemplating buying an RV often worry about is um, gas consumption. And while it's not ready for prime time yet, we were happy to read that Winnebago is working toward the direction of having um, electric power emissions vehicle, electric powered motorhomes, thirty three foot and a thirty eight foot. Well, they're talking about electric eighteen wheelers, right? So that makes some sense, I right, guess. Right, I don't know, right? I haven't actually seen any of these on the road. Well, it said that they're yeah, in but they're blood bank vehicles and things like that so far. Um, but they're moving in that direction, too. So maybe we will join the all-electric world totally. And not in my lifetime, I don't think. <laughs> With the price of gas going up, though, it's going to make it more and more appealing. We are looking at a plug-in hybrid as a for replacement a for a car. So yeah. that may be happening. They dreamed of their adventure in their new RV, but they say they got geysers of sewage. <sighs> Bill and Jean Megan Mangan say of their dream of spending the first 10 years of their joint retirement traveling the country inside of their luxury RV quickly faded beneath a cloud of diesel fumes pouring into their bedroom at night as leaking hydraulic fluid seeped into the basement drawer. This is an article about, which I'll provide a link to if you're interested, from the Charlotte Observer about a couple who had just major, major problems with their brand new expensive motorhome, and they're suing Thor Thor. to get their money back. Their $270,000 that they spent. They had a 160-item punch list of things that malfunctioned. Wow. Yeah. Uh, their main claim, which I am a little bit skeptical about, which they say uh, there was sewage, which they say pooled daily in their bedroom and geysers. No, in their shower. No, I'm reading it. From their bedroom and geysered from their shower drain like an off-color old faithful each time they flush the toilet. Ooh. I don't know, but I have a hard time believing that the black and the gray tanks were connected in any way. Unless somebody misconnected something? I don't know, but I can't imagine our geyser of... Uh, well, anyway, so we'll stay tuned to this and see how it goes. How the end of this sad story comes out. But, of course, you don't want to have to go through this, and that's one of the issues. And one of the things you need to do as you're buying your new motorhome is don't take it from the lot until you're satisfied that everything is in, in good shape. And you can't figure out whether you're satisfied without spending numerous hours in right. your rig um, calmly and coolly without a salesman breathing down your neck. Um, sitting in the chairs, opening the drawers, thinking about where you will put things, thinking about whether they are comfortable or not, trying out the bed for half an hour, thinking about how you and your partner sleep in that bed and whether it will work for you. Uh, this is not a decision to be made no. lightly. And, and you can't look at it and make a decision. And you when I complain about the hours that we spend researching a campsite where we're only going to stay for a day or two, <laughs> you really have to put in the time um, or be incredibly lucky. And I think when we bought ours, used as it was, that they just let us wander around in it for as much time as we wanted to. I mean, we felt pretty good about it when we were done. No, Nobody breathing down our neck. And sometimes when you're in there for a while, it makes you think of more questions that you didn't ask when you first were dealing with the salesman. Right. Um, and, and, it, it's a lengthy process. And you know, whether you're spending 10000 50000 or 550000 you need to think about the livability and overlook the glitz and glamour that is often uh, part of the RV package these days. They just uh, build all 
this stuff in that looks great, but it doesn't have much livability. When you open the slides, can you open the refrigerator too? Or when you close the, the slides, can you open the refrigerator? You know, all those can things. Can you get to the bathroom? Can you get to the bathroom? All those things need to be decided before you purchase and not uh, counted as a lemon once it's already been it's been purchased. <laughs> so, with that happy thought, where are we going next? Um, we're just doing a little shakedown trip to the Indiana so you can dewinterize and make sure that our install our head <laughs> our systems are functioning properly. <clears throat> Otherwise we will be in our summer home pretty much all summer, which is wonderful. I love traveling, but I like being home too. You bet. And so with that, dear listener, we will turn it back over to next month and hope that you have a great summer of camping and enjoying your RV as you head down the road. And if you'll be in Indiana Dunes in June, you might be in a campground near us, but otherwise we're leaving it to you. We are not going to be competing for all of those campgrounds that are in such short supply. Aren't we nice? Aren't we nice? <laughs> That's our lifestyle. Okay, so with that, we'll say goodbye and see you next month. Happy travels. See you in a campground near us. Thank you.